your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture With Stick Around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around The podcast brought to you live from Sheffield Just up the road from Guy Salmon's Brexit Emporium <laughs> I thought I was just whopping. No, you, you guys. You, you've got some. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Oh, brilliant. Right. Do we just go from there? Yeah, we'll just go from there, just yeah. Go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Brought to you by Thoroughbridge Sausages. Hello, my name is Herbie Thoroughbridge. Just me and my good dog Skepta here. <laughs> <laughs> We're here to tell you that here at <laughs> Thoroughbridge Sausages, we produce the most thorough sausages this side of the M1. <laughs> That's the worst dog impression I've ever had! There's a man shouting That is it. Great start, guys. What? What? How did we get that deal? We saw some bloke walking his dog by the side of the M1 earlier. We decided his name was Herbie Thoroughbred. Don't know why his dog was named Skepta, but. No, you, you did. You said it was because his, his daughter, who he no longer sees, named it. <laughs> she really likes Skepta. Because, yeah, the, yeah. I think we can right, read the um, undertone in that. Wait, what about the sausages? How that I, <laughs> we decided that was his small business. Okay. <laughs> Right, okay. Dogs love sausages. Yeah, yeah. Hi, everybody! As you may notice, we're a bit rowdy. And it oh. probably sounds shitter than normal because we're all in the same room just using one microphone. Uh, we're all in Sheffield, as we mentioned, up the road from Guy Salmons. Um, the turning that most people take when they try and get to mine. It's, it's how I know I'm enormous here. <laughs> you don't pass Guy Yeah, it's the, the local. But I'm not revealing my. <laughs> like a Hollywood I'm song. not revealing my location. <laughs> Um, we're here Don't to talk we? about generals. This is our first live pod talking about everything, so that's Hi. quite emotional. We've got beers. We're in my room. How many beers have you we're had chilling. before I got here? Only one. This is my second yeah. beer. Well, you, had some, you, you girls have only had one. We've so had some, of us we've had some very spicy chicken, though. So okay. Yeah, we've been to Imran's. That's going to be so spicy to local. on the way out as well, so yeah. I think so, yes. Yeah. No secrets in this. No, because you're going to have to take the loo roll with you. Mm. Communal loo roll. There's already been a lot of toilet talk. As always, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I live I in mean, a Alex is here, yes. I should probably explain. I live in a shared house, you have to, it's a lot of people here, so you have to take your loo roll to the toilet because otherwise it just gets nicked. So it'll be very obvious when Al's gone for a poop. Or when somebody else does. I mean, I'm, when else yeah, yeah, poop, I'm, not, I'm not denying it's going to happen <coughs> with me, but you know. Flux might go for a poo. Cable might go for a poo. I just went for a poo before I got here. So I mean, we I'll are here. You might go for round two. I'm not, not right before I got here. Right. Like before I got in a taxi. Oh, yeah, you're yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. We've all been there. We've all been there. Um, right, so we're here to talk about stuff. Uh, I don't know who to go to first. I think we're all equally unprepared. Let's go to... Michael, fuck it. You start us off. We doesn't seem pleased about that. Okay, no, I'll start us off. <laughs> I was just gonna. I was gonna talk briefly about um, Tyler the Creator's new album. Um, I've been calling it Igor, but I think on the album he pronounced it Igor, so I don't really know what the correct pronunciation Maybe we'll go is. With Tyler's. <coughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's an interesting album because um, when he first emerged about ten years ago, he was quite a provocative artist. Uh, I think you, a lot of people would have 
counted him as what we would now call a troll, probably, uh, for his lyrical content, which was um, quite near the knuckle usually, resulting in him being banned from the UK, of course. Uh, what, which, which parts was he banned for? What do you mean? Well, was it kind of was it inciting violence or was it? Yeah, it was something like that. Yeah, um, and a lot of people perceived his stuff to be um, sexist and misogynist. Um, and then, I mean, his his debut studio album, um, Goblin, was um, I thought it was decent, but it was quite disappointing because it was um, far too long, a little bit all over the place, but had a lot of promise. And then he came through with a couple of albums that felt a bit half-baked and he seemed to be uh, a little bit scattershot, a bit all over the place as a musician. But uh, also still quite interesting artistically, some of the stuff he was doing. Uh, And definitely always pressing a lot of buttons, um, causing controversy but making people talk about things. And then uh, his his last album in 2017, Scumfuck Flower Boy, which... uh, Great name. I I, I remember that when I I tweeted asking when we were going to start calling it the uh, hip-hop pet sounds, which is kind of what it is, uh, I remember you replied, Alex, saying I'd gone full Nathan Barley. Yeah, just a little (laughs) bit, yeah. But that was uh, was the album where he really, uh, where all of the promise that he'd showed in certain ways really paid off uh, it was just as strong musically as it was uh, lyrically but it didn't really it moved quite a lot away from hip hop uh, but this new album does so even more it's rooted a lot in R&B and soul it's barely recognisable as hip hop really uh, it's got quite an amazing sonic palette to it which is very heavy on the synths uh, there's not really that much rapping on the album there's quite a lot of um High profile guest appearances on the album, but used in quite a low key fashion. They sort of blend in quite well into the album. Uh, narratively, it takes the form of uh, being based on sort of love triangle between Tyler, uh, another man, and this person's ex girlfriend. Uh, and I think a lot of well, I think a lot of his mu- lyrically his stuff has always really been about. Um, unrequited love and loneliness and I think that has continued which it now comes through in a different sort of form and I think his work is it sort of appeals to a certain demographic of people I think uh, he's really settled into a niche and now he's doing so in really interesting musical ways um, so I'm not, I'm not going to talk about any sort of track in particular because I think the whole thing threads together really well and needs to be listened to as an album but um I think he could probably uh, he could probably go on for decades making albums like this now. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what he does going forward. But I think it's really satisfying because when there's an artist that's um, showing a lot of potential for growth, and then perhaps you're not sure if that's going to come off, and then they do start to do so and really start to nail it. That's very satisfying to follow them through their career, which is still quite a young career. So it's a great album, one of the best of this year, I think. Boom, boom. <laughs> I haven't really heard much of him, although my ex was very much into him. I have watched a series on Vice where he um, basically did various shit, a bit like Louis Theroux, but a bit more. Well, maybe did a, various t- shit. a tiny bit more hip hop, but. Than Louis Theroux. Only a tiny bit more hip hop. Well, than I mean, Louis you have seen the episode where Louis Theroux raps, haven't you? If you haven't, it's a must watch. But. Uh, <laughs> Has anyone else listened to? He's quite into hip hop, isn't he? Louis? Or he was from the like, so. like, yeah, yeah, he, he was a big fan. Him, Adam Buxton, Joe Cornish, who, and somebody else, all into hip hop when they were younger. Uh, they, 
he he did say in some interviews he felt like a bit of a fraud, um, being kind of white middle class guy doing yep. this. But white middle class people are infamously the biggest hip hop fans, though. So yeah, <laughs> it's not that surprising. This is true. Yeah, sorry, taking you off track there. We're not on about Luther. <laughs> <laughs> I've listened to Ego. Yeah, I really like it. I've not listened to it enough though to to base past too much for judgment. But yeah, I really like the. It's not very like individual songy album. It's kind of flows into each other and. Uh, yeah, I think it was um, oh, what's the guy? Someone had some great beef about it. Cable, you you talk about it, and I'll try remember his bloody name. You've you've listened to this, haven't you? Yeah. You want to talk about uh, your thoughts while I try? So DJ Khaled. He, got, uh, he lost his number one slot to uh, this album. Oh yeah, this was and Tyler's then, first US number one. Album. Yeah, and there's a. <laughs> There's a, well, he didn't actually. He just didn't get the number one slot because of this album. And there's a video of, Tal- of um, DJ Khaled just going on about how his music was proper music. People actually had it on in their cars, and it wasn't some. I think he said mysterious shit or something like that. <laughs> but I'm going to find out the exact. Fuck quote. this mysterious shit. The hell will we doing later? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't going to be nothing mysterious about it. <laughs> I'm going to find the exact quote. Okay, what did he think of a? I, I've only listened to it a couple of times, but I did really like it. I need to give more time to it, I think. Yeah, same. I enjoyed it. Definitely enjoyed it, but yeah, I haven't listened to it enough to have in-depth thoughts on it. Um, other than it was different and good. Yep. Any thoughts? Yeah, I, unsurprisingly, I haven't listened to it. So, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. so no. <laughs> Has hip hop made its way to Hobbiton yet? <laughs> uh, I mean, it, I don't know whether it's made made its way all the way to the Shire, but uh, for, for those of us living in Great Manchester, yeah, we've, we've heard some hip hop. Oh. <laughs> well said. Yeah, yeah, fair, yeah. Fair, fair. I found the quote. Um, I make albums so people can play it, and you can actually hear it. Carla said in a sil- in a since deleted post on Instagram. You know, driving your car, you hear another car playing it, you know. Go to the barber shop, you hear them playing it, you know. Turning the radio on and you hear them playing it. It's called great music. It's called albums that you actually hear the songs, not no mysterious shit that you never hear it. <laughs> well, what is he talking well, about? Yeah. What I also like most is that what he suggested is that the people that like his music most don't buy it. They just hear it at the barber shop. <laughs> and be, Hence why it wasn't number one. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, everyone just goes to get a haircut when they want to listen to it. <laughs> well, yeah. There's, there's room for both, isn't there? Yeah. So that's Does, a, doesn't mean you have to be number one. That's, mm-hmm. that's the feedback. Yeah, so DJ Khaled, well done. Um, <laughs> made me laugh for a bit, so that's good. Another uh, one. Sorry, I just yeah. to do that. <laughs> let's go to Alex Wayne. So let's go round in a circle. Oh, okay, okay. So mine's also going to be a bit of a brief one to start with because I'm not up to date on the show I'm going to talk about, so... It's the, I believe it's on Sky Atlantic in this country, but it's HBO in America, TV series called Succession. Um, I'm not up to date with it, I've only one episode into the second season, but I've just caught up in the first, and I love it so much that I have to talk about it. Has anybody else seen it? I don't think, unless Cable has, no, I don't think anyone has. I've seen has a poster now. for it, I think. Well, I mean, the best way I can describe it is... Which is the same thing, right? It's kind of, yeah, almost <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's kind of like, if you took Arrested Development, you know, a dysfunctional... Uh, horrible rich family with a business that's on the edge and you made it a lot darker and you made everyone in it a cunt and um, <laughs> that's basically it but it's, it's honestly one of the best dark really dark kind of twisted comedy dramas called Succession so it's basically about the Roy family who are essentially the, the Murdoch family so Rupert Murdoch 
James Murdoch, etc. They're a family in New York. Um, they have a news network called ATN, which dominates and has right-wing propaganda on it, essentially. And it's essentially based around the fact that Logan Roy, the Rupert Murdoch-style figure, um, is having health concerns and everybody's kind of jostling and infighting and stabbing, backstabbing to get the role after him. Um, and it's it's written by Jesse Armstrong, who is more famous for Peep Show or <coughs> Fresh Meat or um, more recently The Day Shall Come, which we haven't seen yet, but the new Chris Morris film. Um, honestly, go and watch it. It's It'll make you kind of cackle with laughter has some of the best dialogue in I've ever seen. It reminded me of The Thick of It, which I believe, I might be wrong here, but I believe Jesse Armstrong might have had something to do with, or he might have had something to do I with... I think he might, because I've watched that quite a lot, and I'm sure I've seen that name. Yeah, I, th- I think he, he definitely had something to do with In The Loop, which is basically the Thick of It film. The dialogue is so sharp, and it's so funny, and even though it's set in America with American actors, albeit Brian Cox in the main role, British, um, you can almost hear the peep show. You can imagine some of the lines coming out of... Marco Jeremy's head and it, yet somehow it doesn't seem wrong um, the drama is almost as good as the comedy but it's going to make you wince and make you um, you know just piss yourself laughing three times an episode uh, opening episode of the second season includes somebody getting their revenge by stuffing some dead raccoons up a chimney um, <laughs> and it's I don't know it, it feels like it may be my favourite show being broadcast on TV at the minute, although I've probably said that about the last three things I've reviewed. Um, <laughs> but it's it's brilliant, really. Um, Brian Cox is acidic; like oh. you can f- practically feel him melting the screen uh, with his performance. <laughs> uh, it's pretty much the best thing on TV. Give it a watch. That's all I can say. Hmm. Sounds good. What did you say this was on? Uh, it'll be on, I think it's on Sky Atlantic in this country, or HBO, yeah. or I'm pretty sure if you sell... So you have bo- to pay Murdoch to watch the thing. So Not any, well, he doesn't own Sky anymore, does he? Uh, you've, got to, you've got to pay <coughs> Universal in America who own it now, I think. Um, but anyway, I'm pretty sure if you sail your boat far enough out there, it's getting more go through some choppy waters, you'll okay, be... <laughs> the waters are getting more and more choppy these days. <laughs> Shark infested. I can find you. It's just about finding the right location to to harbour at. Well, it depends what kind of boat you're in. Look, I mean, I, I, I would never have got into the show had I not had it on Twitter pretty practically rammed down my throat, and I kind of resisted it for a while because it was so rated. Because you know what it's like. Someone tells you to watch something. That's if back of the queue. Somebody rams something down your throat. Yeah, yeah. You don't. You want to spit it out, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but eventually, you've just got to accept it. You, I'm not sure they've, they've got to accept it. <laughs> That's a very shaky defence. <laughs> you, you accept it, and you get your thumbs, and you put them between your fists, and that stops the gag reflex, and you just enjoy it. <laughs> Wait, does it? <laughs> so I'm told. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just have to rewind that because I wasn't listening. But. Uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah. Honestly, right. Everybody here, I know your tastes, and I think we're not. We don't all have the same taste per se, but I can't imagine any one of you not enjoying it. At least give it a couple of episodes because it definitely really, sounds like something I'd enjoy. Yeah. Uh, it's like it's so cynical. It's so cynical, but it's um, like I mean, one of my favourite characters on it is um, he's a distant relative. He's kind of the cousin from the 
the brother of the main character. And he's basically the audience's representative. He's a big nerd just wanting literally <coughs> to get a job off the back of his family. He doesn't have a clue what he's doing. And he's just their whipping boy. And aside from him, I think everybody else in it, in their own unique way, is absolutely horrible. So you have the, the first son who doesn't do anything with his life, lives out in the desert and um, hates taxes. You've got the second son, son who is trying to backstab his dad to get the CEO job. You've got the third son played by Macaulay Culkin's brother, Kieran, who is a pathetic kind of egomaniac who likes to pick, basically pick the legs off spiders. Then you have his daughter who is supporting a Bernie Sanders-like candidate just to spite her dad. Um, yeah, everyone in it is their own unique kind of horrible. Um, even the one supporting the Bernie Sanders character because she's not doing it for ethical reasons. But yeah, brilliant show. And that's all I've got to say. Boom, mic drop. Don't drop the mic. Good thing you said that. I have looked, by the way, Alan. Yes, it was, he did write a lot of the thick of it. 50, 50 well, there, there you go. Writing credit for 15 episodes. If you so like the thick of it, you will you will notice it in the dialogue. You definitely will. Excellent. Um, Cable, have you got anything to talk about? Uh, yes. Do you, do you want to go next? Because I'll go last. Cause that's, you know. oh, you're ruining the circle sort of thing. I can go next. Would rather you, I went you, did set, you did set up a circle, Clive. Okay, well, I just, as host, I feel like it's rude if you go before everyone. No. Well, I was going to go get another beer. Is there else yes, I'd love a beer. Okay, yes, that's please. your role. Yeah. What is um, right, it's my go. I'm, I'm good for now. I'll have another punk, but I don't know if I put one in the freezer. Actually, just actually a San Miguel. Because okay. if I have three punks in a row, it's good night. <laughs> and I, this, that would be my third punk in a row. Um, right, so I'm going to... Six percent. Yeah. And, they're, <laughs> and they're like half cans. Yeah, this guy. They're like three days. Flux is telling me to grow a pair. Um, I forgot to put a pop shoulder on this thing, but I think we're far enough away. Um, right, so I'm going to carry on my little series of uh, looking at the top five albums rated by rateyourmusic.com. I'm not sponsored by them, by the way. Just no. should be. Just like the website. We're sponsored be. by Thoroughbridge you should have recruited. That dog sounds head. different. <laughs> um, I think thoroughbred sausages are going to be calling us up and saying, "Can we get flux?" <laughs> <laughs> Whoever, whichever dog you got for the first one, doesn't even sound like a real fucking dog. He sounds like a dog who thinks he's a human doing an impression of a dog. <laughs> Can you please get the other one? Why that is? So. Sorry for interrupting, Clay. Unbelievable. I'd like to get started. Oh, shit. So I'm going to do my top five. Uh, it's not my top yeah, five. Rate your music. So rate your music is a site where you rate your what you rate your music, basically. It's in the fucking name. Um, yeah. And then they get average scores and get tied up, and you can make lovely little charts, which I like, because we all like lists. Um, so I'm going to read through the top five, then I'll go through my thoughts afterwards. So these are the top Thank five, you. as voted for by the rateyourmusic.com community. I'm a member. At number five... We've got, um, I'm, I'll have to, because I'm really shit at starting things, I like to get sidetracked. Now, before I start this, number four is actually Ennio Morricone's Il Buono, Il Brutto, Il Cattivo, which is a uh, movie soundtrack for obviously the good, the bad, and the ugly. Obviously, you all know Italian or Spanish or whatever the fuck language that is. It's Italian, Italian, yeah. yeah. yeah it's in the spaghetti western. Not a tapas western. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, okay. But I'm not doing soundtracks, I'm going to do soundtracks later, so I've not included that. So, not including that, number five, we've got Anti-Stigmatic, no, Astigmatic by the Comeda Quintet, which most likely none of you have heard of. 
Um, I certainly hadn't. John Coltrane, uh, Ascension. Bob Dylan, Blonde on Blonde. The Beatles, Revolver at number two. And number one is The Beach Boys, Pet Sounds. So Interesting. Alex Wayne says interesting. I'm going to ask Very you why. interesting. Ooh. <laughs> Very interesting, apparently. Right, number five, Comedia Quinta Anti... Oh, fuck's sake. Astigmatic. Uh, it's avant-garde jazz post-bop according to the radio music descriptions I don't know what any of those mean um, after bop I think yeah. <laughs> translation bop was my favourite movement so I'd rather have things just bop but okay um, yeah it's, it's I, I, as I've spoken about before when, it, when I get to jazz albums in this kind of challenge I get a bit stuck because I know fuck all about jazz um, so I don't really know what to say, but it's nice. It's nice, <laughs> nice <laughs> <laughs> to listen to. Uh, the beige of compliments. <laughs> they play. They play instruments really well. Uh, they they work well together. There's lots of. Uh, uh, it's quite lots of crescendos. Quite dynamic. Is it it's jazzy? Just, it's pretty jazzy, baby. <laughs> Crescendos, drops in, you know, things, and uh, it's di- it's dynamic. It's not the Did same. He take the bass line for a walk. He <laughs> <laughs> doesn't, actually. and he doesn't keep the cymbal splashy you know, for people who make that reference. And there's no jazz flute, which is a big shame. Take it for a walk down the M1. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, re- I really enjoyed it. But um, as most uh, with jazz, I don't really know how to talk about it all that much. Um, th- thoroughly enjoyed listening, and one I've listened to quite a bit after I'd already kind of reviewed it. Or, well, reviewed it. It's not really a review, is it? Um, when I put on, it's just nice. To, it's just nice to have. Nice to have nice. on. Nice. <laughs> Number four, uh, 1966 seems intent on crushing jazzing on, it up, jazzing it up, and really making this difficult for me. John Coltrane's Ascension, um, which is defined as free jazz. Which fucking hell, jazz is already pretty free, <laughs> and you make it free. Uh, like where do you even in, go? Inexpensive jazz. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it probably was quite inexpensive actually because it sounds very much like you just got four people who are really good at playing their instruments put them all in a room including himself said, play John Coltrane said play your instruments with whatever the fuck random stuff you want and I'll play some random saxophone over the top of it and, um, and it somehow nice. <laughs> somehow it works I mean in some it's a, it's a weird album because you could in one way listen to it really intently and just be like this is just a cacophony of the biggest noise that I don't know what's going on and in a way, you could, if, I, you'd be forgiven for thinking it's a bit horrible, to be honest. But then if you step back from it, somehow it all, if you kind of listen to it as more of a whole rather than like picking them out individually, it bloody works in some weird way. And it is, I think spiritual jazz describes it well to me just because it is, it does feel like a bit of a spiritual journey, like some sort of mantra type thing going on and him going off on weird saxophone licks and well... Yeah, it's just, I don't know how to describe it, but it's well worth a listen. And it is absolutely one of those albums where... You definitely have to listen to it more than once to get to get it. I still haven't got it, so God knows how many times I have to listen to. But if you just listen to it once, it's still it's an experience to listen to. Um, if you listen to it attentively, um, which a lot of albums could you couldn't really say that about as such. So, and it's definitely one you're gonna have to sit down and be willing to put up with the fact you're probably not gonna you're gonna spend the first five minutes thinking what the hell is going on. <laughs> um, but once you've kind of submitted to submitted to the. Uh, the spirits of jazz, um, then you just start to enjoy it. Um, I'm sure Michael will have something more eloquent to say about it. But um, yeah, so we're going to Bob Dylan, Blonde on Blonde. I raved about Bob Dylan last episode for most of it, so I won't bore you again. But uh, <laughs> Blonde on Blonde is my second favourite album after Bob Dylan's Highway 61 Revisited from last episode. Um, 
It's great. It's bloody great. It's a lot longer. It's a bit more... Um, there's a few more sort of, I guess, love songs and stuff on it. Um, it has a lot of my absolute favourite Dylan songs. I Want You, I think, is an absolute masterpiece. It's brilliant. Great lyrics. Um, really, really good instrumentation. And once again, it's that uh, like thin Mercury sound that he was doing at the time <coughs> where we've got... He's just going in there into the studio with a song in mind and the chord chords written but he's like right guys this is the chord progression we're off uh, <laughs> let's see what happens and the band just absolutely nail it and uh, and again I've listened to a lot of outtakes on these songs and they sound a lot different uh, the other takes they did um, but it's just full of absolutely brilliant instrumentation and the best lyrics that I've ever heard um, along with Highway 61 it's a fabulous fabulous album that I love to listen to and easily one of my most listened to albums um, there's just I go down the list here. Visions of Joanna absolute masterpiece I Want You again a masterpiece the last track Sad Eyed Lady of the Lowlands about um, Sarah Lowndes his ex-wife now um, is just a 12 minute it's completely different to Desolation Row which is also another 12 minute acoustic song this has got a, more of a band to it but it's similarly kind of epic in its scope and just uh, beautiful with its lyrics and it's 75 minutes long this album uh, which is usually a bit too long for me but absolutely not the case in this uh, in this with this album uh, which means I think it's on four it's like four sides of an LP if you were to get it in LP yeah. format I can confirm this <laughs> <laughs> yeah I haven't listened to it in that format yeah, have you listened to it in mine once oh yeah I did and I I was going to say I had to keep getting up and but you didn't because I was already up dancing Our, to it so. uh, vinyl <laughs> slash hipster correspondent James <laughs> <Kevin. laughs> Um, so yeah it's it's brilliant it's again where he's playing with words um, as kind of using language like a playground essentially where I don't know if, you can read meaning into it if you want but um, that's not the, not the way I enjoy it I enjoy it the way he conjures up ridiculous images um, the ragman draws circles up and down the block I'd ask him what the matter was but I know that he don't talk is the first line of uh, Memphis blah 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 Stuck inside a mobile with the Memphis Blues. Stuck inside a mobile with the Memphis Blues, yeah, which um, I just love that opening thing to it, and it just keeps getting better and better. It's brilliant. Um, so, yeah, check out Blonde Blonde by Bob Dylan. It is fabulous. Also features some absolutely brilliant harmonica playing. Very free harmonica playing. I'd give it. Inexpensive. Free, <laughs> free harmonica label. Free harmonica. Um, number two, The Beatles Revolver. Um, last time I reviewed The Beatles Rubber Soul and wasn't all that impressed. With it. I thought it was good, but not, you know, didn't think it was top five worthy. This one much more, like it a lot more. It's they're getting a lot more used to like how to use the studio. The songs are more interesting, and they're making up for the fact that they have, in my opinion, really bland voices. I know that's <laughs> will offend some people, um, which is fine, but it means that I need to get the interest from somewhere else. And this album definitely has that interest in other areas with the the production that they've brought in, and the, the songs are just more interesting, I think. And even songs that I don't usually like, like Eleanor Rigby, because I've heard them so many fucking times. As in the context of this album, they still work, um, and I, I enjoy them. So it's, it starts with Tax Man, and Eleanor Rigby's probably the only one that's like a massive tune. Yellow Submarine. And Yellow Submarine, yeah, which is, I fucking love Yellow Submarine, it's a great song. I like the more surreal um, <laughs> Beatles songs, where they're just going a bit off the chain. And there's a bit more of that on here. Um, there's you know great harmonies, and like I say, just really using the studio well, and... Yeah, so I can definitely enjoy this album, even being not the biggest Beatles oh, fan. Best Beatles album, in my opinion. Ooh, big claim. I, I think the next, I think at the minute it's Sgt Pepper's. Although I'm currently listening to the White Album because I'm on 1969, 68 now. 
Yeah, 68. Uh, and I'm really enjoying the White Album because it has a lot of just wackiness on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're up to Peach... I'm not going to talk too long because other people need to talk. There's loads of us here. The Beach Boys Pet Sounds, which is brilliant. I love Beach Boys Pet Sounds. It is a... I always describe it as a warm hug of an album. Because <laughs> of the... I don't know, just the harmonies on it and stuff are just so beautiful. And it's... Uh, that's not necessarily the type of thing I would usually listen to, but it just works so well. There's just the melodies on every single song are just absolutely beautiful and really kind of uh, they're just warm. And <laughs> even if you've not heard the songs before, it feels like there's a, like a, a real nostalgia there to the fact that you have heard them loads. Um, and I just really love every song on it, and it is just the kind of album you can put on at any time and feel great. It's a super happy. Um, even though some of the song topics aren't all that happy um, just I really like it bloody yeah harmonies are underrated basically and it's a fabulous album I know a lot of people have stuff to say on this that's more uh, eloquent than what I've said so I'll shut up there does anyone want to comment about any of those five albums in more depth Michael uh, what are your thoughts on Ascension free jazz yeah it's um, it's free well I don't think (laughs) inexpensive I don't think it matters how many times we'll listen to it because I don't expect to understand it properly. Um, it's a bit of an odyssey of an album. And like you said, um, Coltrane's whole career really is defined by some religious awakening. So I think spirituality is a key part of it. Um, and yeah, it's, I mean, if you, haven't, if you haven't listened to much jazz, then you're probably not going to take much from it. But even if you have, it is a very difficult, uh, sort of incomprehensible... <coughs> Album, but I think it's one of the most interesting free jazz albums. Uh, it, it is hard to talk about because, the, like, I think you mentioned the first album, which I haven't heard of, the uh, the one at number five. Um, oh, um, yeah, Commander Quintet. Yeah, was I think you mentioned that it was tagged as avant garde, mm-hmm. which actually for post pop is quite surprising, but because um, they don't seem to mix together a lot. But free jazz and avant garde are almost. They're almost different things, even though they're similar in some ways. Because um, like, like al- one of my, my favourite jazz albums is Out to Lunch by Eric Dolphy, which is quite unusual and structurally, uh, but it still has more of a structure. So I, it sort of gets classed as avant-garde, whereas Free Jazz really just throws that out the window a little bit. Mm-hmm. Anything goes. So that definitely applies to this album. It's, uh, yeah, there's all sorts going on, and you never quite get you get your get a full grasp of it I think but that, that's what makes it interesting it's part, <clears throat> yeah, of, the, and also it's, part it's, of the appeal yeah it's a bit like yeah definitely trying not to get a grasp on it is almost the key to enjoying it <laughs> yeah basically just let it happen yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll talk quickly about the others um, for me Blonde on Blonde would be the best of those albums uh, of the four that I've heard yeah that's I didn't mention that actually yeah that would be my favourite followed by Pet Sounds yeah I don't need to say anything more about Blonde on Blonde I don't think uh, iconic album uh, Revolver's an album where the Beatles really start to come into their own for me uh, it's more colourful than Rubber Soul that we mentioned before the melodies are more interesting a bit stronger yeah, I think uh, and Tomorrow Never Knows is one of my very favourite Beatles songs Yeah. Uh, and Pet Sounds is also a revolutionary album um, really helped change the face of popular music um, every track's gorgeous uh, so yeah that's another really strong album uh, from I mean, you can you can tell from some of these albums it was this these were the sort of the couple of years that really laid the foundations, weren't they, for a lot of stuff that happened. Although as you go forward through rate your music, the jazz 
disappears really from the top fives. Okay. Uh, so it's interesting to see how things move in cycles. Britain has a really thriving underground jazz scene at the moment, actually, but uh, and there is some free jazz elements to it. But yeah, jazz. I mean, the the, the well, it was more more before the sixties, but in terms of experimentation, I think the sixties were probably the the peak for jazz, and after that, it sort of faded away a little bit mm. commercially. I think it's interesting as well, I, not to comment on the albums themselves, but it's interesting to look at this because Pet Sounds and Blonde on Blonde were released the same day, weren't they? In the UK, I have a feeling. Um, Possible, though. It says yeah. 16th May 2015. Yeah, I know I listened to a documentary about it, and it's sort of really interesting to think that actually this was the kind of heyday for the album almost, that this mm. is where. and that kind of competition collaboration now before like you look at now and it's very much about streaming and playlists and but whereas this is kind of like the real heyday for the album before kind of singles come in and the chart and that 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 albums are the goal and this is a year with some absolutely iconic album like all-time iconic albums all kind of fighting it out all all in literally the same day let alone the same year yeah, this um, was this well. This was where pop and rock really and, became an album. Yeah, format. and you you they kind of, hadn't been before, and you kind of wonder how they benefited from each other being there to like <laughs> to kind of compete against almost and and, and the true, ability actually. of like you say if jazz starts to fade out that perhaps this is where the creativity is that they're listening to jazz and they have that kind of influence but they're turning it into other other mediums. Yeah, that's a good shout. A lot of interplay. Yeah, definitely. James Cable, it feels like you must have some thoughts on this. Um, the top three, or yeah, like we've all said, they're incredible albums. Don't really have anything else to add. Okay, okay, that. okay. Um, more of our, our contemporary music correspondent. Hmm? You're more of our contemporary music correspondent. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> <laughs> That's your new label. Well, I've got to give him one label. We are completing the circle, therefore, our contemporary film correspondent, James Cable. <laughs> <laughs> If he's going to talk about yeah, it, I think I was, he is. Yeah, I was just briefly going to talk about um, the Breaking Bad movie that was released okay, on Netflix cool. this week. No uh, spoilers. El Camino. Um, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that it follows um, Jesse's story in the immediate aftermath of the finale. Um, literally just carries on from, from there. And I think just as a Breaking Bad fan, it's just... It's just Great watching, um, it, all the all the great things from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, in fact, are, are sort of carried on here. Um, it's got the same sort of vibe, the same cinematography, the same, um, well, some of the same characters and callbacks to all characters, and everything's just really good. If if you're not if you've not seen Breaking Bad, you won't get it, or you wouldn't be able to follow it as well. And it probably you probably wouldn't enjoy it that much. Um, but as a Breaking Bad bad fan it's probably um, essential watching and I thoroughly enjoyed it don't okay. have much more to add than that does it so it doesn't spoil <coughs> anything then so I mean a lot of the I mean some people would say that the Breaking, breaking Bad kind of concluded perfectly in the sense that everything was <coughs> wrapped up or more or less other people would say it was wrapped up a little bit too neatly so how would you say that this El Camino reflects I'd, on that I don't think it spoils anything. It, it perhaps puts to bed a couple of questions or a few questions people had um, following the finale, but not in a way which ruins it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say. Okay. Okay. Um, it just. I just think it adds to it in a nice way that doesn't 
detract from it. Um, well, that, that's that's what I was hoping for. So yeah, I've heard it isn't. So I haven't seen it, as you can probably tell. Yeah. But um, I've heard it's not the thriller that some people probably thought it was going to be. Um, exactly. Not exactly. It's still got elements of that. Uh, it's got elements of comedy and um, some thrilling bits, and then just just um, very artistic things like like you, well, like we got in Breaking Bad. Um, yeah, it's not. I think as I was watching it, maybe I was wishing that. Oh, I was there was part of me which was wishing for it to be something different to what it was because it did just feel like an extended episode of yeah. Breaking Bad. Okay. But then at the end of it, I was like, actually, that's actually fine, and that's really they did it really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like the format of it isn't. I mean, it is it is a film. It's two hours long, but it's not the form. The format of it isn't that much different to a Breaking Bad episode. Okay. Um. But that was fine to me. I really enjoyed it. I thought it, by the end of it, I was like, "This, this is a very good." It was, it was a very good, like, um, not ending, but like a very good continuation for Jesse. Okay. It, it made me sort of like. To be fair, I mean, like, I don't know what my opinion is yet, but I, I actually had no fears about this one at all. No, I think I it's mainly because of how good Better Call Saul was. Yeah. I have total faith in Vince Gilligan and whoever else is creating it to continue it well. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> like, I... I ooh, don't spoil it for me, but as long as there's no twists <laughs> where, like... Oh, Hank's not dead, Walt's not dead, and they go meth cooking, and I don't know, maybe there is, but you know, <laughs> we, we will see. Anyway, I don't think you, I don't think there's anything like that which would disappoint people. Okay, cool. I don't think. Cool. Well, should we continue in the circle club? Yeah, Flux. Do you have anything to speak about? <coughs> um, I know you yeah. comment on a few of the later things, but yes, yeah, I'd, I'll I'll do a brief rundown of um, a series that I've been watching that I, I haven't finished yet, and I don't know if anyone else has been watching. Um, which is the boys on Amazon Prime? Yes, I've watched it. Yeah, um, it's um, it takes from the Garth Ennis comic book series and Garth Ennis, and they've um, Amazon Prime have bought a number of sort of Garth Ennis titles and yeah. are, are producing Pre- them. Preachers, them. Is, preachers, yes, well, yeah. yeah. Um, I think there's some more as well to come. I have a feeling, but I'm not, I'm not like a mega fan of his. But I've read all of Preacher and I've read some of the boys. Um, I, have you seen? Sorry, before you get going, Molly. <laughs> okay. Um, have you seen any of Preacher? Had I haven't. Seen? No. So I was mildly disappointed by the first season of Preacher because I love the comics. But uh, had you read any of the boys before this? I hadn't. No. Okay. No, I'd, yeah, Carry on no, with review. Sorry. In. Yes. No. No. <laughs> um, so the the series kind of takes place in a universe where two superheroes exist, and there are um, sort of legitimate superheroes, but they're the kind of celebrity status of superheroes kind of corrupts them and uh, there's like a corporate background to the and a kind of monetization of the concept of the superhero um, it takes place in America as you might expect um, and the story sort of follows kind of disenfranchised non-powers as they sort of seek to look to the superpowered companies um, following with each one having their kind of own motivations for doing so and their own motivations to distrust the kind of concept of the of the powered heroes um, and sort of to sort of follow what's happening in the company and you also see from the other side the kind of powers and the way they behave and um, kind of the corruption and celebrity status that goes on and the way they manipulate their image 
to come across as you would expect a sort of traditional Marvel or DC Justice League or Avengers type um, hero but rather than their motivation being oh yeah to save the world it's very much kind of self-serving and ego driven um, it's it's really interesting as a series it's interesting to see the way in which kind of the as a thriller series it works in that there's a there's kind of a valid threat obviously you this, the main protagonists I suppose are the boys which are kind of this undercover non-powered unit trying to expose the seven which are the equivalent of the Avengers or the Justice League in in the universe and um, yeah and there is a legitimate threat that if they do get caught they have no powers they are going to get absolutely destroyed um, and so it's kind of a really interesting narrative to see the way they use like their abilities to investigate um, and kind of follow up to almost like a love interest parallel storyline to kind of investigate the seven and the way they operate um, there's a sort of parallel story as well whereby one of the new members of the Seven is perhaps slightly disenfranchised <coughs> as she, perhaps she's rather naively expecting them to be as the way they're portrayed um, in the media and then discovers that perhaps that dream is, isn't quite what she was expecting um, and that the other members of the Seven are, are all far too far gone for redemption almost um, it is I would say kind of hyper real violence in that it's clearly been um, toned up it, oh, deliberately so I understand it was the same in the comic books it's very stylized. it's very kind of over the top and extreme almost to match the kind of level of the powers of the people in which you are dealing with it's, it's a lot lighter than the comic books yes <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I understand that's also the case. Um, but but it is a really interesting watch, and uh, like I say, I haven't finished it yet. I think I'm um, about two episodes away from the finale. But it is it's genuinely really interesting, and I can't wait to see what happens next. It is really gripping. There is a genuine level of threat, um, and I think I think it works really well as a series. Um, I I really enjoyed it. Um, it's it's almost a satire, really, on you know because. Let's be honest, when you think about our favourite sports stars, a lot of our favourite mega musicians or actors, a lot of them behave deplorably and are kind of, well, deplorable, so as to quote Hillary Clinton. Um, <laughs> and that is what a lot of these superheroes are in, in the series. And um, you've got Carl Urban doing the worst British accent you've ever oh, heard yeah, in your life. Yes, that is, that <laughs> is terrible. Uh, genuinely, like, my. I can do a better, like, Tasmanian accent than he can do a British accent. <laughs> I can do a, a better Japanese accent than he can do a British accent. Um, you name it. Please I, don't. I, I Please do don't. <laughs> <laughs> Konnichiwa. <laughs> anyway, yeah, he, well he's uh, but somehow it doesn't really matter. Um, he is pretty good in it. Actually, he's convincingly kind of butch and kind of like um, almost an anti-hero and. No, the series is really good. I found it really funny. I found it really engaging. And I thought it's a kind of... If you imagine that there were superheroes in real life, this one seems a whole lot more convincing than, than anything else you've seen yeah, because I've... big business is going to find a way to dominate it because it's an evil virus, obviously. Well, I think that's the thing. When you were talking about Succession, actually, before, and you are saying it takes a very cynical view, 
I think actually yeah. this is perhaps the way, and like you say, almost like a parody of something like the Avengers or the mm. Justice League. This takes a very cynical view of what superheroes would be like if they existed in real life, and of course they would become celebrities, and of course to an extent they're going to become corrupted by that, and the big business is going to try and take advantage of that kind of corruption and the celebrity status and try and monetize that. And I, I think I think it's a, that that's what makes this interesting. It's interesting because. They're not these incredible, super-powered people that go around saving the Earth for the love of saving the Earth. It's interesting because it feels more real in that, yeah, of course they do it for their own kind of self-serving, celebrity status, money-driven ends. And, of course, that would happen in real life. I mean, the the leader of the Seven, Homelander, is your classic kind of uh, Superman-style character. His cape is made of the American flag. He's got blonde hair, blue eyes... He's smiling. When he comes out to see the people, he goes, you guys are the real heroes. And he's all smiling and clapping and happily clapping. And then the minute the cameras are off, he fucking despises everybody. He's probably the worst of them. He is uh, despicable. He yeah, really he's is, a horrible yeah. character. But, you know, it's it's everything you expect. For example, I'm trying to think of some sort of sports star or somebody who's exceedingly nice. And you think, the cameras are off. You are obviously a dickhead. Nobody's that nice. <laughs> That's why I mean to take us completely off course. I've always liked Andy Murray, the tennis player, because when he's in when he's in interview, nobody seems to like him that much because he's cynical and he seems to be just being himself. And I'm thinking, yeah, he's just being himself. This is what they're all like. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Um, so I was he's a big a fan. Though, isn't he? No, I like him. Oh, I like Andy Murray. I like him. I used to dislike him, but now I like him. No, I really like him. I think you know. I don't care what he says, he's good to me. Um, but yeah, no, I think... I mean, I really loved the Preacher uh, comics, and I was a little bit let down by the first season, um, which wasn't bad by any stretch, but it just didn't match it. I think it helps with this one that I've only read part of The Boys. Maybe if I'd read it all, I'd have been felt a little bit more let down. I know that this isn't quite as gory and horrible as the comics, despite featuring a scene where somebody with indestructible skin they work out how to kill him by shoving a bomb up his ass. yeah I was going to I was going to say there are moments there, <laughs> yeah, are, yeah, moments there are moments definitely moments, but yeah but no overall I, yeah it's really enjoyable um, certainly if you want to see a send up of the superhero it's going to be interesting to see how this does versus the Watchmen TV series which comes out this month yes yeah. um, didn't like the film very much of Watchmen despite it being based on pretty much like the bible of graphic novels or plush comics as you want whatever you want to call them um, you know this is set in the same universe but it's not the same characters per se although one or two and it'll be interesting to see what the difference is between them interesting so is what the Watchmen series just going to be about, about oh. uh, no it's not about it's, it's just set in the same oh, universe so okay, the main character well one of the main characters is Ozymandias who was in the series played by Jeremy Irons in the TV show um, that might be better though to be honest with you some things are unadaptable some things are in their perfect medium it's mm. like trying to adapt an album to the big screen you know it's not going to work per se I mean, I'd like to see a London Blonde adapted to the big screen could that work? I mean it could work in a really psychedelic weird way <laughs> it certainly wouldn't be a conventional film <laughs> would the soundtrack just be the album though? Yeah. it would have no. to be yeah but it, it would have Maybe to be it wouldn't it, have a soundtrack. I think it would mm. almost have to be covers as well if you're going to put really? the soundtrack it would just be too literal to have the actual album yeah who knows well anyway. to tie it all together My Chemical Romance covered Desolation Row for the Watchmen soundtrack didn't it? 
didn't remember that, but yeah, wow. I don't know. I just you know remember what? Opening Actually, with the, the times are changing. Yeah, you, really good, you know what? You know what? It had a cracking soundtrack. I'll give that yeah. to the film. The, ta- the bit where it started with ta- the times are changing. That was really good. Yeah, every- then he went, went down. Went downhill. Yeah, <laughs> great start. <laughs> Okay, well, continuing the circle. Um, Uh, Michael Johnson. Michael, I'm going to need you to speak solidly for at least three minutes because I'm going to go in a beer run. (laughs) I'd like to talk about what you're going to be talking about. You mean the fridge? Yeah. Three minutes. Three minutes. I I can sing it from here. For um, a Okay, watches out. <laughs> Who else wants a beer? I realise this is an audio, audible medium. Uh, the fridge is literally legit, the same room. Legit, <laughs> it's legitimately twenty yards away, if that. Uh, yes, please. Oh, oh, no, I probably shouldn't. Um, yeah, Michael, sorry, Michael. You're you're up. We'll be quiet now. Chill out. Yeah. Three minutes starts now. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to talk about uh, Joker. Todd Phillips's new film. Uh, I'll give a little bit of background, although I doubt anyone listening to this doesn't know about the film. Um, starring, well, it's DC's, uh, what they were hoping would be the first, uh, basically the launch pad in a chain of uh, grittier, darker style uh, superhero movies, um, which aren't really superhero movies, uh, origin stories, basically. Um, starring Joaquin Phoenix um, as Arthur Fleck in 1980s Gotham uh, charting his descent into criminal anarchy Um, also stars Robert De Niro and Zazie Beetz in notable roles Uh, the um, well I think for me this I think it'll be hard for DC to do more origin stories like this because I think this this works perfectly in terms of an origin story and uh, it takes a lot of influence from um, Scorsese's uh, 70s and 80s output, specifically Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, and The King of Comedy. Uh, very clear influences on the style and the storyline in this film. Uh, it's a very dark film. Uh, it's ch- created a lot of controversy um, for various reasons uh, and divided audiences and critics, I think, for the same sort of reasons. People considered it to be quite violent. Uh, I don't agree with a lot of the criticisms of this film, I have to say. Um, I didn't. I can see why people think that, but I don't think there's actually that much violence in the film. Uh, where there is, it is quite intense, I suppose. But I don't think it's a particularly violent film, even though it does have uh, an atmosphere of violence that sort of permeates it throughout. Uh, another reason it's been um, quite controversial is... I think pe- pe- people have found it... Well, the reason it's been criticised is people have found it to be uh, very dark, which it definitely is. Uh, unrelentingly grim was a title that, uh, sorry, a phrase that uh, has stuck with me from one review I read. But uh, that seems to be the point to me. I don't really see that as a criticism. That's just that's the tone of the film. I have to say, I would use this might be an exception to a rule I usually apply. Usually, if a film doesn't raise a single laugh throughout its entire runtime, I think that's a bad thing. Uh, but in this in this case, I think that that is the case. I don't remember uh, even chuckling at it once. But I still thought, personally, I thought it was a brilliant film. I think the story slots together really well. As I said, this just uh, this works well as an origin story for the character of uh, the Joker. Um, Phoenix is amazing in it. Uh, he looks so frail, basically the opposite of um, well, he was frail in other ways, char- in terms of character. In uh, you were never really here, but uh, physically, he looks the complete opposite. Uh, another recent film which is similarly dark, and I'm sure people who've seen it will draw comparisons to. 
the film deals with mental health quite a lot. This was another reason why it was criticised. Uh, some people didn't particularly like the portrayals of mental health in the film. Uh, and I think we're, we're very cakeist in the way that we collectively uh, sometimes criticise violence in films. People have said, you know, the character of, uh, of Fleck just sort of decides to start killing anyone who's wronged him or whatever. Um, and the, but there's been a, there's been a lot of focus on that. But to me, it seems like uh, I think it is the case that the story carefully chooses who the violence is meted out against, um, and it tries to make it look like he's, um, you know, we would say punching upwards. We tend to say, don't we? Uh, against people who, in, on some level, deserve it almost. Um, and obviously that's where the controversy comes from, like trying to decide whether you know people, whether you can ever say that someone deserves to be killed for something that they've done uh, in that regard. But I think we, we turn a blind eye to a lot of violence against innocent people that occurs in films. Um, when someone who perhaps might have a reason to start killing people in a film, which isn't real at the end of the day, uh, when that happens, we seem to focus in on it. And I see a lot of people uh, on social media and the like who would probably be supportive, I think, generally, of someone who has mental health problems or maybe vulnerable in a certain way. Uh, when they're portrayed on film in a certain way, they don't seem to see it that way. Um, so I think it becomes it's quite a difficult issue, but I think some of the thinking on some of these things is, is very skewed, and I haven't agreed with a lot of the criticism I've seen about uh, this particular film. People use it as a, a chance to do a lot of point scoring against people in society who are vulnerable, I think. And, um, you know, people have said that the film will inspire violence or they're worried that it might inspire certain people to do certain things, but I didn't get that message from this film at any point. Uh, to me, the message is that the film calls, albeit in a very dark and possibly depressing fashion, for a fairer, more just society. And that seems to be what it wants to inspire to me, not violence. And uh, I don't know, I just think if people are taking a different message than that away from it, they're getting it quite wrong. Uh, and I think you mentioned after we saw this, Alex, that this discussion's been going on for literally decades. People wanting to, you know, leave causation for violence at the door of entertainment in some it, form it, or another. Like, obviously I wasn't alive for it, but it reminds me of what I've read about uh, controversy around A Clockwork Orange, which obviously allegedly inspired copycat killings and ended up being banned in this country for 30, 35 years, something like that. But it's a non-point if you ask me. I, I feel the kind of same with like GTA. It's that idea that video games make you violent, not whatever the underlying cause of that violence is. Well, it was um, then, one of a lot of uh, Republicans' arguments, wasn't it? Yes. Because and, 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 it was a bit and, like, uh, hello, lots and, of other countries also have these exactly. problems. It, it, <laughs> yeah. It's basically dancing around the real problem, trying yeah. to fix all of the what <laughs> might call sub-problems. Which yeah, means. and I think this is the same. The idea that Joker will inspire violence from, a certain, yeah, from a certain community is... Is you're looking at the wrong way. The problem is that community and the way they see the world, not not the fact that Joker's kind of m mirroring that or portraying that on the screen. That it's not the fault of the film; and it's the fault of the I underlying mean, violence within that I've individual. Not, I've not seen the film, so I can't really comment specifically on this. If you might tell me out, but 
it's, it seems similar to when I've heard like films being called racist because somebody in the film is racist. That's like that doesn't make the film racist. It's portraying a thing. Yep. Um, yeah, it sounds that like in society. Yeah. It sounds like the, the Joker in this film is violent, but that doesn't mean that the film is saying that that's a good thing. Because it sounds like if you look at it as a film, it, that's not the message it's trying to portray. But some people are just looking at it and going, "Oh, the Joker's being violent, so that's what it wants us to do." It's like that's not. I mean, it's not quite as one. Exactly, it's just like it's like how have we not got past like getting the, some of the messages that are, that crop up in entertainment? We get them so wrong. People get them so wrong. I think. And, and in, well, I didn't. I, I wasn't going to focus much on the mental health, but obviously, some people didn't like the way it portrayed mental health. I'm not an expert on it, so uh, that's fine. But it does directly address the issue of cutting funding for mental health, mm. and it's like. Which is a big issue. Yeah, like, if you must be able to see that its intentions, at least, however they came off, are good. You know, they're trying, it's trying to be criti critical of that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, you know, people well, don't mean, seem to it, it see it that way. It literally has a scene in the film where his mental health worker, minor spoiler, tells him that his, you know, the funding's been cut I mean, for yeah. the programme, and she tells him, look, they don't give a shit about you, they don't give a shit about us. I mean, from my perspective, it seemed that this film got a hell of a lot of criticism from people who hadn't seen it or had only heard about it in advance of this or people who went in with preconceived notions so Todd Phillips the director does not have an amazing track record he's done the Hangover trilogy which you know I've got a lot of time for the first one but you know what I mean hmm. um, and he made some probably ill-advised comments yeah he didn't help himself in um, and I feel that people's perception of the film has been coloured by the fact that going into this you know they didn't like the director they didn't like the comments. They heard it was controversial. And I think various people have taken it. And this is a rare thing where I would actually criticise the left-wing media, which I would consider myself left-wing, trying to read into this some sort of incel culture or some sort of radical culture which might inspire school shootings, where it isn't really there. I mean, I think at worst, if you're going to criticise the film, it's not clever enough to do what you think it's doing. Yeah, I think it's really good. That's not a criticism of, of, in my part, but I think a lot of people historically will be on the wrong side of this who otherwise have good opinions. Yeah, I think my, my point in a nutshell was if the if um, you know if there are and it is it is male focused if there are vulnerable people, young men in society or whatever, um, let's have a look at why that is and uh, try and eradicate it. And that seemed to me, yeah. yeah, that seemed to me to be the point of the film. And I think a lot of people who politically or whatever you would you would think would want to agree with that point don't seem to. When it comes to the crunch and analysing films like this, they don't actually seem to want to. I don't know, but that that was the way I saw it. But I love the film, uh, regardless of the very dark tone of it. Uh, I couldn't take my eyes off it, so I was mm. a big fan. I mean, and largely agree with Michael. I think the performance by Joaquin Phoenix is incredible, not just from a physical level, because he obviously put himself through some shit to make him look like a walking corpse. Um, I mean, he's not even a particularly tall man, but his physique in it makes him look languid and lanky almost. Didn't you say he lived on a diet of steamed apples? It was you? something. I, no, no, that's, I'm not making that up. <laughs> yeah. random diet. That sounds like the kind of shit I randomly come out with, which is accurate, <laughs> but you know, uh, that's, that's really true. Um, and yeah, I thought the I actually thought the direction was really artful mm -hmm. and um, really well done. And I thought you've got people like Francis Conway playing his mother, who is really good. Um, 
Zazie Beats was really good in a strange role. I'm not going to spoil that, but um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great origin film. If you take it just as face value, I thought it was a really good origin. Very dark. It did have political message, but only for the good. And I think if you didn't like it, if you didn't think it was a very good film, that's fair enough. But I think anybody taking any further political ramifications from it is reading far too much into it. Or not getting the message. That's the, I mean, it's the thing with art, isn't it? Like you say, with the preconceived thing, you could go into... I could go into Blonde on Blonde with the preconceived notion that it's trying to talk about... I don't know, fucking whatever. Blonde like, people. And I could... <laughs> Blonde, it's a bit literal, Blonde but okay. I could make any fucking point I wanted with yeah. those lyrics if I wanted to. Um, yeah. And if you're going with that preconceived thing, then yeah, you're going to be able to see it in that well, it, way. It's but. like... It's like if Piers Morgan turned into a film director. If I go into his films, I hate Piers Morgan, you know. I would like to mush a pie into his face. I mean, I don't really bear him any massive ill will in the sense that I want him to you know, be harmed. But if I go into his film, I'm going to be looking for some cunty message from a cunt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it might be a great film, you know. I didn't think we found the episode title name. <laughs> I'm not sure it's going to pass. But... <laughs> Another reason this was controversial was that the use of a Gary Glitter song, wasn't it, on the... Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. So, but, again, things are... Maybe this sounds like making excuses, but things are rarely as simple as they seem. In I was reading an article this week that makes the point that in Britain, Glitter is obviously a hate figure for obvious reasons. But in America, there isn't really that awareness. And that song is played regularly at American sports. It is, yeah. So it's, it's a bit of a strange one. Like, they don't seem to have the same... But they're probably not aware of who the song is by... And yeah, they probably should be, but it's kind of like you think you you can't. People don't always see things from the perspective you might. Yeah, and, uh, it does seem like a poor artistic choice, but I saw it's a, more complicated. Than I that. saw a great tweet on this, by the way. Okay. Um, after they said they said, uh, "Oh yeah, the Joker soundtrack really is controversial." So they Gary Glitter Rock and Roll Part Two, which is the song that, that's actually in that. Number two, Lost Profits, the fake Sound of Progress. Number three, Rolf Harris, Timey Kangaroo Dance Floor. Uh, number four, Ten Minutes of Fart Sounds. Uh, number five, Kevin Spacey, Mamba Number Five. That's a real thing, by the way. Acapella. Um, and number six, R. Kelly. I believe I can vlog. <laughs> Only one of those is in the film, but yeah, probably shouldn't have been in there. But you know, whatever. I think from I I watched Shuka yesterday, and I think this this film is I I, I echo the sentiments made. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I think what makes this brilliant is that you could not like. I mean, no one knows nothing about Batman. It's such a cultural icon. But you could go into this film knowing absolutely nothing about this kind of DC universe and Batman and who the Joker is. And it would be a brilliant film about a man's kind of descent into yeah. madness mm. and kind of irredeemab- irredeemably so after a, a system that's let him down, in essence. And it could be a brilliant film in isolation, irrespective of the context. But what it also does, on the other hand, and I can't think of a great example that won't be a spoiler, is it it absolutely perfectly works with the duality of Batman. That what makes the Joker such an iconic villain is he is the opposite of Batman. Yeah. That he is kind of where Batman wants to make order from a chaotic city 
and won't cross the line of violence. Joker wants to create chaos from the order of the city and uses violence and death as the tool to bring that about. He is the perfect opposite. And actually, the way this film operates is there's a, a, a massive parallel between the story of kind of Bruce Wayne becoming Batman and becoming a symbol for a city and being what what ordinary people should aspire to be in the kind of madness of Arthur Fleck and the way his descent goes down and the way that the community reacts to the actions of Arthur Fleck. And it it plays that duality absolutely brilliantly so that if you're a big Batman fan, you can really see the parallels that it's drawing and the way it's trying to make Arthur Fleck's Joker kind of the exact opposite of Batman but with those parallels but in in reverse almost and the way that Thomas Wayne is portrayed when you think in the comics and the way that uh, Bruce Wayne idolises his father and he's seen as the saint and the redeemer of Gotham before he's killed and the way that Arthur Fleck sees him in this kind of narrative and it brings that point about perspective and the duality and, and the way they operate it's absolutely brilliant at doing that whilst remaining a film that someone who knew nothing about Batman could watch and come out and go that was a brilliant brilliant film and uh, that's a really difficult thing to balance Nicely those two yeah, that, that a, 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 a diehard Batman fan will come out going that was brilliant and someone who knows nothing about Batman will come out going that was brilliant and that's a really hard thing to achieve pretty much articulates what I meant when yeah. I said it slots together perfectly yes yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's incredible well, well, just, he he just said everything I wanted to say, but smarter. Uh, <laughs> well, I completely uh, agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I think there is a little bit of romanticism in the Joker having no backstory, which for a lot of the time he hasn't. But if you're going to do it, this is perfect. That's my last point. I'll say. See, you yeah. made me want to watch it. I mean, I was already wanting yeah. to watch it because my main reason was Joaquin Phoenix is my favourite actor. So yeah, yeah, and he's in. I will see him. But yeah, now you want made me want to watch it for other reasons because yeah, mental health is an area. Very think, interested in, and particularly if it is good that. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think some people feel it's. I've read one article, I've had, I read contrasting articles, both in The Guardian actually, one saying it was demonising people with mental health problems, another saying that because it was talking about the cuts and things, it was making their case. Yeah, that's what I mean. Well, I'm sh- it, that, that's my point though. Like, even if it gets things wrong, can we accept that its intentions can be good? You know, that's plus, what I, I don't think there's enough trying, At least it's saying something, and like, it, I mean, you've very, I've not seen it again. But you've mentioned one scene in particular, which uh, <laughs> where where the funding's been cut, and he said, and the person says they don't give a shit about you. And that might seem dramatic to people, but having worked in mental health, that is absolutely true. Like, hmm. yes, the people who are working with the people directly, the support workers, give a shit. But above up above, no one gives. They don't give a shit, and it's very obvious. Like when you see people's funding cut that you're looking after, and I've had that. It's it's just very clear that they don't give a shit. The funding's been cut. And the funding's been cut because these people can't vote sometimes. They don't have, they maybe can vote, but don't go and vote because they have no particular <laughs> interest in the system. And they have no way to stand up for themselves against what's happening to them. They don't understand this, what's happening to them. And, and, and that's why they're an easy target. And that, that's the contrast. They are absolutely targeted. Yeah, that's the contrast between the, like, the criticism that Flex character gets for turning to violence and the sort of silent, nuanced violence that governments enact against people. Which we don't seem to focus on anywhere near as much as we do when you know a guy who's been a victim of some of that starts killing people in a film. You know, there's an yeah, ob- yeah, there's yeah. an obsession with these things to run everything like a business. 
and because these people are not generating anything Absolutely. for the business because they can't that's where that kind of thing on, feels yeah. down also. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. That's my private mm. mental health care is probably not going to work. Um, but anyway, let's not get onto my communist agenda. Um, Alex <laughs> Wayne. <laughs> right. Um, oh, I don't know how you follow that. Um, anyway, I'm going to talk about uh, another film I saw, another one that really impressed me, so no mystique here. I really liked it. Um, James Gray's latest film, Ad Astra. James Gray, not a massively famous director, but one who's been around for a long time making films with big people. Uh, the last really one, but how big? Like Literally. at least seven <laughs> foot. Um, um, yeah, this is a space kind of epic starring Brad Pitt, uh, Tommy Lee Jones, Ruth Negger, uh, Donald Sutherland, among others. Um, the basic plot is it's essentially Heart of Darkness in space or. Apocalypse Now in space, if you like. Uh, you have a kind of military-style astronaut who has to travel to Mars to send a message to his father, who is played by Tommy Lee Jones, a Colonel, Colonel Kurtz figure who has gone mad on the edges of space. Um, there, there seems to be some signals coming from there, which keep kind of blacking out all of uh, Earth's operations, which are killing thousands of people. And... It's essentially his labor. Well, laborious makes it sound like it's not a fun journey because it is, but it's a laborious travel from there, and it's not really a huge spot to say. Eventually, to his father, um, the the film itself is gloriously shot in what well, I can only imagine where the most expensive cameras going. Um, it's one of those films which is intensely cinematic. So if you've got a telly which isn't either massive or you're not watching with your face up against it, it's not big enough. Um, the I mean the opening shot is Brad Pitt on a huge uh, space antenna which is going from Earth into its atmosphere dropping off after a surge of electricity and it follows him on this journey and it, it's mainly his perspective in, uh, that we hear so a lot of it's in kind of in a monologue which often irritates me and has done in the past but doesn't in this um, it's quite poetic. I know a lot of people didn't like the monologue, but I did. Um, it's if I was to compare it to kind of more modern uh, space takes, the closest I could give it to is Interstellar. Um, it's not as how would you put this? It's not as out there as Interstellar in terms of philosophy, but it was a really quite personal experience. Despite the fact it's set in space, this could have been in a jungle. A la Apocalypse Now, it could have been on a boat, a la Heart of Darkness. Um, it's essentially a one man trying to find his father who left him as a young boy to go on a huge journey. And it's their relationship as much as anything. Um, it's one of those films that will simultaneously portray space as both entirely populated and a very lonely place at the same time. Um, I mean, before I go any further, has anybody... What was everyone's thoughts on Interstellar? So that's like, probably its, cl it's closest comparison, if you like. The song by Incubus or the film? The, the film. <laughs> yeah. um, I have never seen another film, but I can give you a raft of opinions on this song by Incubus. Keep quiet. <laughs> Keep quiet. <laughs> no, I like, I like the film. I like it more than a lot of people, I think. Yeah, same. Was my opinion. Love yeah. it. Key installment in the Nolan catalogue, I think. So, I wouldn't say this is as good as Interstellar, per se, but it's... 
arguably more personal. Uh, you've got you've only got one person's perspective, Dude. and it actually reminded me quite a lot of Children of Men, actually, as well, which is one of my favourite kind of underrated films of the what we're we calling them the noughties. Uh, yeah, I think we are now. Yeah, <laughs> they were um, filthy, weren't they? Yeah, absolutely <laughs> filthy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, 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 I, th- I think the film the worked. <laughs> That's this year. This, that's, that's this, this decade. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the film works because it's from a singular perspective. Uh, we're not seeing multiple. He, there was never a shot in the film that Brad Pitt is not in, or at least not a Perfect. major part of it. You know, he's a good-looking man. Gonna really extend my wang bang. Um, it's 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 it's, old, it's, it's pure. I mean, still in good shape. It's it's purely a kind of an introspective journey. So it starts off as a kind of a military operation, and Brad Pitt's character is. Does he take his top off? Uh, yes, of course Good. he does. I, I so, by, 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 the, by the way, listen, I don't know if you noticed that we've uh, been drinking slightly, but this film <laughs> review has got down to. Does Brad Pitt take his top off? Yeah. <laughs> I, I like how Alex uh, pretended not to be sure. Yeah, well. I like that. Quite yeah, well. yeah. Let me just well, talk about this. No, no, no I, I saw this in pretty much the same week as. A, or a week after I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in which he definitely gets his top <laughs> off so I was trying to remember but yeah it's anyway it's an introspective journey it's purely from his perspective and we basically see his struggle and it, he's such a almost emotionless character for the most part except in his monologues I mean throughout the film he has to pass psych evaluation tests with an AI and you can tell that the closer he gets to his father the more that's coming out of him and um, barring one scene in the film which felt like it was shoehorned in to give an action scene um, this is a really kind of testing kind of space I mean I love a good space movie um, I've got a question about you to you after this about that okay but no anyway I don't have much more to say I really loved it I think if you're going to see it, it's well worth seeing out of cinema because mm-hmm. it's awesome. so visually spectacular. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> it's, like I said, despite it being a vast voyage, it's very much an introspective personal movie about a man coping and having no emotional response to his dad at the same time. So it sounds like I'm, try- I'm in the position of trying to persuade someone who doesn't like space films to go see this with me because... Well, I don't want to go there. What don't I like about space films? Uh, cable will go with me. There we go. Problem solved. Well, let's <laughs> I don't see, even need to argue anymore. Let, let, no, However, come on. I want to solve this anyway. Yeah, yeah this is what I thought it might be an interesting debate. We well, don't need to solve it. I was just asking. Does this this seems like a space film that somebody who doesn't necessarily like space films would get into? I don't know what it is specifically about space films that they don't like. May- um, I mean, probably just the fact they're in space. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> but like, if you want a film that kind of brings out the desolateness of space the loneliness of space this is very much that film okay um, as I said it's it somehow because I mean in, in this in this film universe it's set I don't know how many years in the future but it doesn't feel that far in advance we've colonised Mars but that's as far as we've gotten we've sent out people to the to Neptune the edge of the galaxy but right. the technology doesn't seem a million, million ma- yet to well, <laughs> people have already been sent to that yeah yeah, yeah yeah people <laughs> <laughs> a long time ago <laughs> um, but yeah it doesn't feel like it, even the technology so obviously you get spaceships in kind of like modern films that are kind of just you know almost like hovercraft they take off and then they just power themselves off no it, in this film all if you're taking it from a planet or a space station you're going up in a rocket first till you broke the surface okay. um, it, accurate it, yeah exactly um, but yeah if 
I'm not sure it, you could easily persuade someone who doesn't like space this is, this is great here, okay. uh, <laughs> do they like Apocalypse Now? I've no idea I'm with you Clyde Apocalypse <laughs> Now in Space is that what you're calling this? it's, it's yeah. called it yeah. very much so yeah Apocalypse oh, I'm, actually, I'm, a, I'm actually calling it Heart of Darkness in Space I'm, but, I'm keen know. because oh, right, yeah. Yeah. I'm keen because I love space movies I'm currently yeah, watching The Expanse which is a space show the that Cable's talked about and I'm really yeah. enjoying it because it's in space I feel like if it wasn't in I space I need to watch that I've watched the first season I never watched anything after that oh, I'm so on the good. second season I'm enjoying it it's just, just loads of space stuff and it doesn't have that thing that Star Trek came which is the, the only thing I don't like about space films it, which is other species basically just look exactly like us but with different heads <laughs> um, no, it doesn't have other species no exactly. well, <laughs> well yeah, maybe it does but do you remember when uh, Game of Thrones blew up and everyone said, oh, everyone will be pitching Game of Thrones in space, well, Game of Thrones in the desert? It kind of, the Expanse sort of is a bit like Game of Thrones in space. Yeah. A little bit in some ways. Yeah, mm. that's definitely similar. I like, I like the concept of it. It tries to simplify something that's... Obviously, like, as soon as you make a space series, it's going to be probably pretty expansive. Ooh. <laughs> um, well, but, well, I see what you did there. Yeah, you do. But they've, like... Game of Thrones, sim- it's... Sorry. Simpled it down to... There's Earth, there's Mars, and there's people who live on the asteroid belt, yeah. and then it like, kind of makes it work. Like, Game of Thrones itself was um, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. was pitched as uh, the Sopranos in Middle Earth, wasn't it? What was? Game of Thrones. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Basically, I don't think any pitch in Hollywood or wherever you're talking about. They all need a reference. Yeah, they all need a reference. It's it's something meets something in something. <laughs> it was interesting. <laughs> by way of an odd comparison, given what we're discussing, but I'd listen to a thing with Richard Osman once where he said, like, a lot of quiz shows benefit from Taskmaster because Dave, as a kind of relatively small-scale channel, original content-wise, took a punt on trusting Alex Horn, and he said the amount of times that I, as the obviously runs end boys, have now heard it's something something crossed with Taskmaster. And he said no one would have like he's like if you'd have come to any big channel and pitched the idea of Taskmaster. They'd have all said absolutely not, no yeah. way. This never been. It's like this really innovative idea to have a sort of game show, quiz show where there's repeat contestants and where and he said it just wouldn't happen. Whereas now it's like every other quiz. Like there's yeah. so many that are inspired by it. And he said that's the problem with television now. Almost it's that there has to be a reference point that you're saying this other successful show. It's a bit like that, but and he said rather yeah. than just taking the punt on someone who's talented and go, mm. we trust you. <laughs> we trust that this is going to be good and let them kind of exhibit their talent it's kind of like cinema's just gone it doesn't even do that it's just like let's remake that yes yeah. Yeah. Successful yeah. Film. I reckon yeah. everything we've talked about now we can do this so Ad Astra I've just said it's Heart of Darkness <laughs> meets Apocalypse Now in space we've got Joker which is King of Comedy meets Taxi Driver in the 80s um, with Batman with Batman yeah. um, <laughs> what about the entire top 5 of uh, 1966 it's 1966 <laughs> meets, meets music, music. <laughs> 1966 um, we've got Breaking Bad meets a film <laughs> TV movies on Netflix <laughs> and then we've got I don't know it, it, it would be the Justice League meets um, I'm trying to think of a kind of thriller type something good yeah. creature maybe yeah. <laughs> yes yeah on Amazon um, now this is running out I feel this like you've got course. a job I feel like you've wasted in your current role this yeah, yeah. Your role. <laughs> and your role is pitching someone gives you an idea then you have to put it into a marketable yeah yeah, yeah. you should just start a twitter context bot for someone who has yeah. no idea just start a twitter bot that generates things yeah. Yeah. one of them will probably become a show yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you should do it you should do it 
Anyway, let's continue the circle. Yeah. Right, do you have anything else you want to talk about? Uh, oh, well, that's a bit to ask, yeah. Um, I was going to talk about True Detective Bracket Season 3, which is the way it's written on the Wikipedia. <laughs> Um, which I watched recently and thoroughly enjoyed. So I'm going to talk. I'm going to give two bits of the cast just so that it looks like a reasonably professional job. Marshall Ali plays the lead role of Detective Wayne Hayes, who amazing. I mean, we have a, a genius piece of naming because they then call his nickname was Purple Hayes, which later on will become even better. <laughs> oh, I mean, wow, that's just yeah. the coolest nickname you could possibly have anyway. But it's even cooler if you listen in a minute. Um, and Stephen Dorff plays his partner, Detective Roland West, so we've got a sort of buddy cop situation mm-hmm. going on, which we had in the first season with Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. And less so in the second season, there was a bit of it with uh, Rachel McAdams and Colin Farrell, but it was less of so, and I think that's one of the reasons the second season wasn't as good for me. I know we've got, a, <laughs> know we've got some fans uh, in the room. What a fan. No. <laughs> Just one, out, one outlier. Uh, one outlier in the room. Um, season three goes back to kind of the season one situation where it's not really a particularly complicated plot. Um, I mean, basically, I've, I have written some notes here, but now they're hidden among all my other notes. Um, basically, two kids go missing um, out in a sort of backwood uh, community, um, and the, they have to start... Detective Hayes and his, his partner are looking for him. Um, there's three timelines, as I think there was. Was there timelines in, in the first one? Uh, yes, yeah. there was two different ones. Yeah, because there's three in this one. There's sort of the initial investigation, the investigation being opened again after some new information, and and then the final uh, timeline is Hayes, um, Purple Hayes, being interviewed for a documentary about the case. Um, the reason why Purple Hayes is an even cooler name is that um, Wayne Hayes, played by Mashallah Ali, his backstory is that he was a uh, tracker in Vietnam, um, in the Vietnam War, so he's super good at tracking shit, which I assume is why he got this job. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, again, there's the relationship between him and um, his, I'm going to just call him his, his, his buddy because I don't remember the name, um, is, is good. It's not as, I don't think it's as, I think a lot of the reason the first season was amazing was that the relationship between Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey was great. And Matthew McConaughey came up with, came out with endless deep shit that Woody Harrelson kind of would shoot down and just kind of bring you back to earth a little bit. Even though some of the stuff Matthew McConaughey was saying was kind of great and poetic. Um, it, there was... Woody Harrelson there to kind of bring it back to earth a little bit whereas I think the second season just had everyone speaking like they were you know they were Charles Bukowski uh, walking around and no one shot them down at any point um, which made it a little bit less believable but I still enjoyed I rewatched it which I'll mention a bit recently but season three was brilliant I think it had I enjoyed it it's, it's difficult and I was speaking to Elle about this the other day like it's really hard because season one is one of my favourite seasons of all time I think of like any show, but when you've seen something so long ago, it's actually really hard to then just yeah. compare it to. It's like, do it, was this season yeah. as good? I don't really know. In my head, that was my favourite season, so nothing's going to compare to it. But I'd have to actually watch it again to then decide. I haven't uh, seen it. <laughs> it's really hard. It's the same with albums and anything. You build something up as being the best, but then I think with albums it's easy because you can just put it on yeah. really quickly, and they're like, oh yeah, this one's a lot better. Um, but. A lot of the time, you just not was it really actually sure. that good, or was I just yeah. in the, like a weird kind of <laughs> was I just in the right space <laughs> at that time? Yeah, yeah exactly. I, the, I've yeah. come in late at night and watched a movie on Tilly while drunk, and then I've watched <laughs> it again and go, "No, that was not good." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, similar thing. Whereas this is excellent throughout the uh, the plot goes. It's never, I think it in a way, because I think a lot of the complaints in the first season, I don't remember all that much about it, where the ending wasn't that great. And I think the first season would try to have like a bigger scope and in terms of 
what was wrong and all the, the people involved, whereas this one kind of just sticks to being a pretty simple case. Uh, it's quite complex what happens, but most of it is, in my opinion, pretty believable. And um, I think the ending is really good. And I've really loved the character in particular. Marshall Raleigh's great anyway in everything I've seen him in. But I think he's particularly great in this. And plays he's um, especially good in the third the third sort of timeline where he's really old and getting interviewed and he's got um, he's starting to get dementia or Alzheimer's and forgetting things and then I think he plays a really good part in that and makes just makes the whole thing really convincing um, and yeah it's just a really interesting case I was hooked all the way through it and yeah I'm excited to see what um, happens next I believe did Nick uh, Piz- it's Nick Pizzolato isn't it that wrote it did he write all three or just uh, the second I yeah. he definitely wrote the second I think he wrote all of them but he didn't he was less involved in the making of the second film. Oh, okay. I don't know about the first series. I know he had assistance this time. Yeah, yeah, I know. Oh, okay. that Probably the only reason HBO greenlit it, yeah. green lit it yeah. I guess, after the back. Well, I mean, uh, funnily enough, so one of my favourite young film directors, Jeremy Solnier, was heavily involved in this season, but left about halfway through after creative differences. I'm not exactly sure what they were, but um, t- t- so I agree. I think it's a good season. I th- I can see his influence. Um, I would like to know what he disagreed with, but um, yeah, because it seems yeah, it just seems it just seems really well done. Creative differences could be anything, couldn't it? It's yeah, always yeah. creative differences. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be. It could yeah, be you big. don't get on well with each other. Yeah, I thought it was really like it's obviously the thing about the True Detective is every episode feels like a really well shot film, like it's everything yeah. beautiful. So even when I watched season two again, I didn't necessarily enjoy the plot massively. I got into it way more than I did the first time. I have to admit, but if, even just watching it as a piece of like. A cinema and enjoying the way the shots were taken was you know yeah. it, it was really beautiful and the third season's more interesting for me in that respect as well because the second season is a lot of a lot of it set in a city which to me is less appealing than the, the sort of backwards thing of the first season and the setting that this one has does season three um, have a 15 minute tracking shot no it doesn't have anything like that <laughs> <laughs> doesn't have I remember that yeah everyone was going on about oh true detective amazing I was like why is it so good oh it's got this 15 minute tracking shot I was like that doesn't really sell me on the entire series it was series, great but <laughs> I mean, it, was, it was good and it worked well I don't think that was used in this series didn't have any really massive technical technical advances I'd say but yeah really good plot and you kind of guess where it's going but it doesn't I don't know. It wasn't that predictable at all. I didn't. I certainly didn't guess the ending until very near the end. So, yeah, I just think it was overall really well done, and Ali seemed to agree. Yeah, back I'm, to form, I'd say. Yeah, I would say so. I went out. I didn't rate it as highly as the first, but I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought Mahershala Ali was incredible, as he always is. I haven't seen him in anything where I haven't thought he's basically the stand-up performer. The lady who plays his wife as well is really good. I don't know what her name is. Uh, Offhand, I don't either. But, yeah. uh, Yeah, Yeah, I thought it was really good. Um, I thought the second season lost its way completely where it tried to be, almost admirably, did try to do something different. Um, But it was... Yeah. Sometimes... Sometimes you've got to stick with what you know to an extent. There's a reason why a show works, otherwise it's trying to be an entirely different show. Um, I thought the skipping between the timelines really mm. worked with this one. I thought it was decidedly creepy enough, and um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I love detective fiction. I love space films. I love detective fiction. I love Perfect. westerns. Those are my top three, basically. Perfect. Does anyone else have anything else to talk about Cable of Works? Nothing in particular that I've like 
thought of. Mm-hmm. Shall I just comment I've on that? Yeah, Michael Johnson has some. <laughs> oh, Michael Johnson's got some some thoughts. He's got his phone out. Well, no, I was just I just thought we should point out that his wife's played by Carmen Adjogo. I don't know. Yes, yes, yes. She's excellent. Um, yeah, well, I was just going to say. Obviously, I've seen I've seen this season, and um, uh, I thought it was good. Uh, agree with a lot of what was said and I thought it didn't worry too much about um, the backlash against the second season because I think it could have looked bad to revert back to basically the same formula as the first season Um, Mm. it could have looked a bit like catering but I think it works fairly well Um, I like shows that play with time a lot which I've mentioned before which this first season and the the recent season certainly do Uh, and I like the way it sort of played around with the idea of Marshall Ali's character as an unreliable narrator like you referred to uh, in the later timeline uh, I thought it, at first I thought it lacked a bit of a payoff I felt a bit underwhelmed with it a bit like the first season but then the more I thought about it I hope this doesn't spoil too much but I thought it worked as a sort of takedown of conspiracy culture um, so I quite liked that about it uh, I wasn't blown away by it and I think it probably lands somewhere in between the two seasons for me but I thought it was uh, pretty watchable and uh, I would imagine they'll, they'll do another season of it at some point. I think I'm going to watch this. I was I, I haven't watched it probably because of the season two. Yeah. I think me and you had the exact same yeah. thoughts on season two, didn't we? <coughs> yeah. yeah. We were fighting against Michael on the yeah. pod. I remember. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. That's going back a bit now, isn't yeah. it? I didn't, no, I didn't hate it, but I just didn't. Or maybe, maybe you were a bit more I towards bit, Michael. Yeah. And yeah. I definitely didn't finish it the first time because when I rewatched, I, it, I, I, I was like, I remember this. I came when you were watching the finale this time, didn't I? And we yeah, watched the yeah. last mm. few minutes of it. Yeah. I didn't hate it. Like like Clive said, I thought it was very like good to watch in a cinematic sort of sense. Um, There's just a lot going on. But it didn't... And it's quite it didn't, not good. Yeah. I didn't love it, to be fair. And I wasn't so convinced of it. I think it, I like the fact that it's so different to the other two seasons. Yeah, yeah. I know. And I think that it was trying to like, don't like it for that reason. To be as honest, well. I quite I'd rather have something like that. Like I'm I'm happy that it exists because Nick Pizzolatto was clearly trying to push a lot of boundaries, and he was like it's very ambitious what he's trying to do. And I'd rather people had a go at that than just well, trying yeah. to play it yeah. safe. Well, like, like I said, it's admirable, so, yeah, but absolutely. it didn't. It just didn't work. <laughs> a bit yeah. overreached. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, but yeah, all I think, the gear and no idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at least. <laughs> It's there, we can learn from it. The boundary's been pushed. Whatever. Yes. Maybe there's all the ideas and no gear. <laughs> well, I just need some energy. <laughs> yeah, gear. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Anyway. Who knows? This has been quite a long one. Let's, it's been long, it's been rambling, it's been drunk. Hopefully it's been good. Um, we're going to end with an update on a uh, non-normal oh. feature of this. Um, keen listeners will have heard previous episode of Bin Wars uh, <laughs> finally long away my favourite thing about this is the fact that I was supposed to be hosting but I was clearly realised I'm not going to bring the story up so he's just decided to uh, there's been a coup there's been a coup yeah. there's definitely been a coup but it's worth it guys I promise sure he was hosting this time to be honest it is absolutely worth it it's because I'm a shit I tend to sit back and then forget that I'm hosting anyway so um, <laughs> this is uh, a good story then so <laughs> let's uh Clive, get this in the edit for me, please. Cue Star Wars music. Star Wars music, <laughs> go! Alex Wayne had had his bin stolen for two weeks in a row. <laughs> he'd also got a cat. Two cats, in fact. And he'd had to store cat litter just in a bin bag in his yard. He then had to buy a bin costing £10 from B&Q, which irritated him because his bin was stolen. 
We're going in for the main story now. Oh, okay. So, uh, keen <laughs> listeners will know that um, I'm in a war with my neighbours who keep stealing my bin. You mean your wheelie bin? My wheelie bin, yeah, yeah. Why have they not got their own? I don't know. This is this is the part of the nuance of the story. Is it, a, is it a green bin or a blue yeah. bin? Oh, it's a green a bin. bin. No, it's a green bin. Green. Not as in green as in like normal rubbish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the one you don't want to get in it. Yeah, yes, it's the one that everyone uses the most. Um, <laughs> the biggie. Anyway, we had a. Who does recycle? <laughs> we had a uh, interesting development in the story. Uh, knock on my door. There's an old geezer there. Um, this is. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, I've just realised I've had you bin for two weeks and I forgot. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, How can you forget for two weeks? Uh, ago? Just a giant fucking wheelie bin. Okay. All right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I noticed you don't come in till late, so you know I thought I'd take it in so it doesn't get stolen by the insert racist word here. Um, <laughs> Knowing you're like, I bet he listens to this podcast. Oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially, um, his solution to you know, preventing my bin getting stolen was to steal it. Was to steal it, you know, because you know, obviously, what right-minded white man wants their bin stolen by someone who's a minority? Obviously, <laughs> clearly, clearly, that was his thought process. There, um, bin is safely returned now. By the way, just because someone was racist in this podcast doesn't mean we we're a racist podcast. Like yeah. a character in the book. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a character. Disclaimer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Disclaimer, yeah. Uh, I'd like to think our re- our listeners are intelligent. Like, we can't assume that. Yeah. We cannot assume that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, this guy who is not a character, he's a real person. He's an old boy. He lives at a... No. That's my house. Uh, uh, can you we give this out? Uh, You've got to cut this can, in the you edit. Can bleep that out. You cannot. You cannot <laughs> release this man's address. This is the second. This is this is the second racist. The lawyer in the corner is not happy with this. This is <laughs> this is the second encounter with old racists I've had in episodes of Bin Wars. Previous episodes include when I went out to get my bin. He said, "Oh, you get your bin in early." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just get nicked otherwise. He goes, yeah, I do the same. That's why I've painted this England flag on it. They don't like it, do they? Uh, <laughs> probably racist, unless, unless, probably, not, not necessarily, I suppose, <laughs> but probably. Maybe yeah. English people don't like. Maybe yeah, it's just for people who don't like art. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's oh, really painted on it. Really no if, you, if you don't like the reviews, I only have like the white pit. If you don't like the reviews and you don't like the banner, come back for Bin Wars episode three. Um, you forgot to do the title of it. Do you want to do it at the end like some films do? Oh, yeah, yeah, go for it. Uh, I've forgotten what the title is. Do you want was. to do it since you kind uh, of... Yes, the, uh, the British Empire strikes back. <laughs> <laughs> Given the uh, racist attitudes. <laughs> um, Michael, I think I you thought said... that story was rubbish! <laughs> 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 uh, Michael, wow. you said uh, I'll send a great summary of this story to the group, and I, it was great. What was it? Oh, well, no, it, the best bit was that he just said, uh, uh, so his, his strategy for preventing my bin from being stolen was to steal it, and his motivation for doing so was racist. He was so Yeah. And he was seething for those yeah. reasons. Wow. At the end of the day, first they gave us Brexit, now they stole my bin for racist reasons. <laughs> I hate old people. Do you know you went and bought your own bin? Just a little one. Yeah, think. just a little one. Oh, you didn't buy a wheelie bin. No, no, so no. I was no. going to say, where can you buy a wheelie bin? Like a standby bin. We can buy one off the castle, but can no one yeah. wants to. Uh, I thought they were free. 
Apparently. I think I think they are for new houses, but not for you, if you're missing one, you've got to buy one. Anyway, enough enough a, small government. That's just encouraging. There's a thriving black market in them round Isware. Yeah, <laughs> something something. Give me one for a tenner. <laughs> something I saw. Got thirty one squares. Maybe that's maybe that's why he's been got stolen people from <laughs> on, on the black to, market. Went to that festival. We saw someone using a wheelie bin. Like yeah, that was that was creative. I thought that was ingenious. To carry what? <laughs> carry all this stuff into a festival and just use a wheelie bin. Wow. I mean, clean it, it out. But like, that's pretty genius. Yeah. Because you're not going to be using it while you're away anyway. Yeah, okay. Turns out clean your bin, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. I suppose you, it, was a, it was a green I one. I knew one from the council, <laughs> yeah. But if you use a recycling one, it'd be fine, surely. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Just stick a bit of a... Interesting. Anyway... Maybe that's um, what people have been doing with your bin. On that, the festival. on that bombshell. <laughs> it did have a 31 on it. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it did. <laughs> he asked for a 13, but they drew a 31. <laughs> A niche reference. I'm <laughs> <laughs> not for a particular generation. Not mine, clearly. Um. <laughs> someone else. <laughs> right. Anyway, let's let's end that what there. What time is it, guys? This latest drone cast. It's nearly five o'clock. Uh, um, we've got. We've got. What I was getting at. Oh yeah. <laughs> I got I got that immediately and then you went to five o'clock in a really right. dismissive tone. Alright. Why are you even asking? Alright, I'm an idiot. <laughs> Whatever. Clive, what time is it, mate? Oh, what time? Hang, let me just check my Oh my god! <laughs> it's plug time! <laughs> Uh, oh shit! Stay to do this at all. At stickeroundcast on Twitter, stickeroundpodcast.com slash. No, I was just gonna say slash Facebook. That's not how the world works. <laughs> Facebook.com slash stickeroundpodcast. You'll find us on Facebook. Stickeroundpodcast.com. You'll find us on on the great wide web. Uh, all our episodes. Are, yeah, the greatest better than the world wide web. <laughs> The Great Wide Web. Just don't put G We're not being planet planetistic. National. We're not being planetist. Planetist. Yeah, yeah. We're not a nationalist. Not planetist either. So it's a it's a great wide web. Um, because some point Mars might want to use it, and they might be offended if we call it the World Wide Web. Surely they have Mars Wide Web. No, they won't. They want to use everyone's on the same web because we're all one happy community. Us and the. Something secret. tells me, going off history, it will not go that way. No. But does, is the world the planet, or is the world... I'm trying to... The, I don't know, but I'm trying to plug down. Yeah, yeah, just, that's just too slow. <laughs> Sorry, I was just trying to make it... Yeah, people, people people it. <laughs> you were doing the Matthew McConaughey. I said... I said before we recorded this that this is going to be the easiest edit for Clive, because we're all in the same room. I have a feeling it's going to be the worst edit for No, Clive. I'm just putting up like this, except for bleeping out that guy's address, because I don't want... <laughs> <laughs> I don't want... Has to get legal advice to him to be shrouded by left... Look, why do you think we invite Flux? <laughs> I don't want a le- bloody load of lefty loonies throwing bricks through his window. Uh, <laughs> and then me getting the blame for it. Uh, <laughs> I'd rather racist were left alone. Um, no, that's getting edited. That's actually yeah, that's it. I'll probably yeah. cut out. Um, <laughs> fuck him. Yeah, so we stick around podcast. You can find you can send us an email. I still haven't changed the thing, so you still it'll get asked to like choose if it's film music or blah blah. We don't give a shit. We do them all at the same time, so just pick one. Pick one of them. Send it. <laughs> send us a fucking quick. It's been a while, hasn't it? Aye. Do you remember the days when we, we had a fan? Do we have any? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it Graham? No, it's Steve. Mm. 
No. <laughs> <laughs> Just say Graham name. Somebody used to send us mail. Be that guy and send us mail. Graham or Steve, please. We know people are listening, so if we can send Which them. Which I remember with an S. <laughs> yeah. It was a guy. Yeah. Simon? I don't know Simon? If it, yeah, I think it was Simon. Yeah. That's it. Si, if you're still listening, send us a mail. We're desperate. <laughs> um, you were our best fan. <laughs> we didn't know what we had until it was gone. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you can also follow us on Instagram. I can't remember the thing. Stick around, pocket probably. <laughs> you'll find it. Yeah, you'll, you'll find it. Although, you really although Michael the other day, <laughs> Michael the other day was purposefully looking for our website via Google and couldn't find it. So <laughs> <laughs> we must be really. Even when you type in "stick around podcast," <laughs> we're not the top result. I mean, what is the top result? No, no, I mean, no. <laughs> we weren't a result. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. We are a result, as in like our iTunes link comes up but oh, not yeah, our that website did, that yeah. Did, yeah. really? Yeah. Right. I also have a feeling that the last picture on the Instagram if I remember correctly is from the last time we were here it's me in an Islanders cap yeah that's, that's, that's <laughs> here. that's what it is we'll, 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 we'll do we another we'll, we'll, we'll do another one we'll do another one tonight yes tonight feels like the night uh, so yeah we're going to go out and get sloshed even more sloshed yeah. <laughs> you guys should go out and send us a fucking email and if, uh, <laughs> and if you're feeling hungry tomorrow morning maybe you want a bacon sandwich or possibly even a sausage sandwich <laughs> just remember to buy thorough bridge sausages <laughs> <laughs> that sounded like a dog having an orgasm <laughs> and on that note <laughs> we are going to leave it there um, this is a goodbye from James Flux see you later goodbye from James Cable I'm going to go in a circle. Goodbye from me. Ow! Hasta la vista. Goodbye from Alex Lane. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye from Michael Johnson. Cheerio. I thought I was expecting a woof there. Yeah, no. I've done enough woofs on this podcast. <laughs> uh, bye and stick around. Stick around. Thank you all for listening Rest assured that you have found The best podcast in the universe It's Stick Around Right, where's that bog roll? <laughs> <laughs> you-